0: And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And, you know, it's always – it's such a daunting task to take in as much information as is out there about this franchise. And and there's two gentlemen – who come on this show uh, periodically from time to time? I, I like to call them resident guests, but they've never been on the air together for that for for too long. And I, I wanted to to get the thing the the, uh, the the podcast going again. I wanted to get them on for a nice autumn conversation about both Brooklyn and the overall Dodger franchise. And without further ado, let's go to Brooklyn, where my man in Bensonhurst, Mike LeColant the Brooklyn Trolley blogger, is uh, just taking in this nice autumn day. How are you doing, Mike?
1: Oh, without a doubt. Beautiful day. I'm sure this is going to turn out to be one of those so-called 10 best days. Uh, Otherwise, I'm feeling great. Thank you for having me on, Sam.
0: Of course, Mike. It's always a pleasure. And uh, without further ado, let's go out to the Midwest, where a gentleman by the name of Rob Barnes, who has been taking in Not only a pre-L.A. history, but but has been soaking up uh, as much Dodgers history as he can overall. Rob, thank you for joining us today.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Sam. It's uh, always a pleasure to be on with you and your audience. And just like you guys have out east here in the Midwest, on 35 miles west of Chicago, we have an absolutely gorgeous day today. And it's going to be a beautiful weekend, and this is a great kickoff to
0: it. That it is. Uh, So you just went through a World Series, a very strange season that was capped with the Dodgers winning the World Series. And and I'm going to start with you, Rob, before I I, I ask Mike about the angle, the Brooklyn angle, of watching the Dodgers over there. Uh, uh, with, With the fact that it's the first time the Dodgers franchise has been on top of the baseball world since 1988, what was the feeling like going through? I mean, it was a seven gamer. You were taking on a scrappy, raised team that just wouldn't go away. How do you feel at the end of that? And how do you feel within the context of both COVID as well as Dodgers history?
2: Just a slight correction it was only a 6 gamer, so we always had that seventh game in our back pocket. So,
1: That's so all right. the Thanks. while. Excuse me.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. So all the while through Game 6, you know, everything was like, yeah, it's all good. You know, we've got it. You know, we always have Game 7, and we always had Walker Bueller in the back pocket as our little ace in the hole. So that was that. in and of itself was cool. I was actually just had MLB Network on, and they were just showing the crazy end of Game 3 with the, the bonehead plays with, like, five Dodger errors. And, and, and the way they responded to that was like, ah, whatever, it's over. Let's get on with it. Let's do it. And as you're, uh, and, and your reference to the the crazy season with COVID ball, yeah, it was all in all bizarre because playing in uh, the quote-unquote neutral territory of Texas and finally having fans for the NLCS was, you know, kind of, kind of bizarre. I mean, having watched 60 games with no fans in the stands, you know, you finally see fans in the stands and go, oh, my God, they're going to get sick. But you know, so, but it was just fortunate to have baseball, fortunate to have a season where it didn't end on a loss, and just all good. I ordered uh, my Dodgers World Series champs championship swag the other day, so I'm just waiting for it to come in. It's all good.
0: <laughs> well, that's nice. You know, one way or another, it seems like Dodger fans, especially since it had been so long, uh, they are, are still taking, are still reveling in not only because it took so long, but because it capped it, it the end of, of several playoff seasons, several world, uh, uh, actual World Series losses. Um, well, and, seventeen. And, you know, was, you, you didn't want you know. wanted to <laughs> shake off that Buffalo Bills feeling.
2: Yeah, well, seventeen. We still can always. Look at 17 with a little bit of a raised eyebrow, especially since it's all come out. But whatever, that's the water under the bridge. And 2020 is, is, all the, is, all, is all the Dodgers.
0: There you go. And, and Mike, you know, you grew up within the, the echoes of the Dodgers leaving Brooklyn. So you still had – the you, you, you were very much aware of the aftermath and what that meant for Brooklyn. And you, I know you, you were watching and, and you root for the underdog a lot, you know, whether it's because you, you're a Mets fan or whether that's just the way you lean from, from a personality perspective. Um, and, of course, the owner of the Rays was from Brooklyn. so it, it, it was a weird connection that way. But I feel like even though it's, it's been uh, over uh, uh, 70 years now that the Dodgers have been out of Brooklyn, it it still feels like both Brooklyn and the the older Dodger fans, the old the older fans that that grew up with the Dodgers, they still look out to that that LA franchise with a bit of ire and and still kind of have a chip on on their shoulder about who the LA Dodgers are if they mean anything and 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 the what they mean to the East Coast. So what, what was your perception of it, and did you did you talk to anybody of those older ranks of Dodger fans who were still like to hell with them? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I certainly encountered those types. Uh, but I, my my story my story starts like this. Let's put it out there. I was born in 1967, uh, within the same decade that. Both stadiums, Ebbets Field and the Polo Grounds, were torn down. Now, I was not born in Brooklyn. I was born in Manhattan. Uh, and it was uh, a few years after that that we finally settled in Brooklyn. I was born within – no, excuse me. I was born in my Sinai Hospital. But where we lived was within blocks of Hilltop Park where the Highlands or Slash Yankees played. And obviously that puts me into very close proximity of where the polo grounds used to be. So here I am, born in 67. I just missed that. And, uh, you know, once I'm settled in Brooklyn, uh, we, we we moved into East Flatbush, and I lived on a dead-end block abutting Holy Cross Cemetery where Gil Hodges was laid to rest. Now, growing up, uh, I was getting an education about Willie Mays from my aunt. And we're talking, you know, early 70s when Willie Mays was in a Mets uniform. Uh, I was receiving uh, a very intense education about Willie Mays for my aunt at Mets Games and another education about Roberto Clemente for my uncle. Uh, another uncle and my father were both Yankee fans. My mom and just about everyone on her side of the family were Mets fans by this time. So whereas my education from Willie Mays and Roberto Clemente were coming from within the family, uh, and my Mets fandom was also originating through uh, my mom's side of the family, my Brooklyn Dodgers education came from the streets of Brooklyn. Uh, I was five years old when Gil Hodges passed away, and like I said, we lived alongside Holy Cross Cemetery, And that sad April day, 1972, uh, I'm not yet in school, but when, you know, you're five and six, you remember things. And whatever grown-ups and kids were on the block that day, we all took a trek up Snyder Avenue and witnessed the funeral procession entering the cemetery. Now, obviously, once we got back to the block, I needed to be educated as to what I just saw. And uh, it was through my neighbors, predominantly, that I was introduced to the Brooklyn Dodgers. And I was in complete astonishment that Brooklyn had its own team. I was already accustomed to going to Queens, see games, and, and and Bronx. I was lucky enough to attend Yankee Stadium in 73 before the renovation uh, got underway. And in 74 and 75, the Yankees and Mets played together at Chase Stadium. So me and my pop, we, we lived there. Uh, again, him being a Yankee fan, being being a Mets fan, but he never cheated me. And uh, we went to an equal number of games. So my, my education about the Dodgers emanated from literally the stoops, sidewalks. And because I lived on a dead-end block, we had no fear <laughs> of traffic, Uh there was hardly a car ever going down the street, so stickball on that particular block, you might as well have been in an open park. You always had one lookout at the corner, car, and everyone gave way, but you know, the residents of the block knew what was going on before they even made the, the turn down the street. Uh, that's the uniqueness of living on a dead-end block in Brooklyn. Uh, so, Sam, uh, to directly answer your question, my, my, introduc- my introduction of the Brooklyn Dodgers emanated from neighbors' friends on the streets and sidewalks and stoops of Brooklyn.
0: Well, Rob, you know, I, remind me whether or not you've been able to hit some of these Dodgers landmarks in Brooklyn, you know, and, and if you could, in uh, uh, answering that, also just talk of your Brooklyn Dodgers education?
2: Certainly. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Let, let's go first with the education. So I, I've said this before, but I'll do give a brief uh, recap. But 1970, I was born in 62, so I'm a tick older than, than you, Mike. Uh, 1970 or 69, actually, my dad was in the process of changing jobs. He was uh, getting, uh, getting certified to be a stockbroker. And his class was Dodgers pitcher Bill Singer. He would, and my dad befriended him. They were about the same age. So every time the Dodgers would come to Wrigley growing up outside Chicago, we get tickets and I got to meet a whole bunch of them. Uh, I got to meet the whole infield. Garvey say uh, Don Sutton became a good friend. He got us tickets after Singer was traded. So, so that's how I became a Dodger fan. So as, as the Brooklyn side, uh, shortly after The Boys of Summer came out. I was at one of my good friends' house who had just actually moved to the, to, to the Chicago suburbs from New York was a copy of The Boys of Summer. And I started looking at it and go, wait a minute. That used to be in Brooklyn? So I started reading it, looking at it, and thinking, oh, my gosh, this history thing is very cool. And, that, and I eventually read the book, and through the course of aging and growing up and everything, I became a fan of the history of the Dodgers. My first trip to Brooklyn was in 1988. My wife and I were were newlyweds. Uh, one of the guys who was in our wedding was living in Brooklyn in at a, at a lovely apartment. I can't remember what neighborhood. We spent Fourth of July weekend there. Didn't do much exploring around, and didn't get back. Uh, didn't get back to to Brooklyn for a while. In the 2000s, we kept uh, we started making uh, almost annual trips to New York because New York City is as you guys know, is freaking awesome. So we'd go to Manhattan, we'd go to Broadway shows, we'd go. I I came across to Brooklyn a bunch of times, went to Coney Island one year. The next year, came back and went to a Cyclones game. It was Carl Erskine bobblehead night, whom I had met at the Dodgers fantasy camp. So I have pictures of Carl there. I've got his bobblehead from that day. So I have done a lot of just knocking around Brooklyn neighborhoods, and I think I've told you guys I cannot bring myself to go to the Ebbets Field Apartments, but next time I'm there, it is definitely on my list. <laughs>
0: well, uh, I'll say that uh, luckily, and Mike can talk to this in terms of home plate, which is still rather hidden and not, not di- there's no real direction towards it, but there used to be a bush in front of the apartments where it said, 1962, this is the former site of Ebbets Field, and luckily that – Bush has been excavated. <laughs> it no longer exists there. Um, and, Rob, I'll, I'll keep going with you in this it, it, here it, with with this type of, of, of question. What kind of echoes of the Brooklyn Dodgers, of what you've learned about Brooklyn as well as the franchise? You know, with so many uh, Brooklyn fans – just really not appreciating from the Walter O'Malley perspective of what he did to them. Uh, what, how do you think it does the, the, the Dodgers franchise currently carries on that Brooklyn legacy?
1: I think uh,
2: a lot of people say, I mean, being a, fr- a fan of the LA Dodgers, it's, it's very apparent how they honor their Brooklyn legacy, their Brooklyn traditions. I mean, the, the new Jackie Robinson statue outside of, uh, uh, up top of Dodger Stadium. Uh, you look at a Dodger game on TV when fans are allowed. Obviously, 2020 not, notwithstanding, you see a lot of Brooklyn B hats in the stands all over the place, uh, all around the stadium. I have been. I've only. I haven't been to the stadium in a while, but. Uh, In fact, it's been since 2005. My only trip there, sadly. Uh, There are still uh, murals and heritage, and you look. I've seen uh, uh, video shoots of the press box. You know, when Vin Scully was still there. All the heritage, all the retired number jerseys are there. All of the gold gloves, all of everything. So, I mean, LA takes their Brooklyn heritage very seriously. They're very proud of it. They're very proud of. And uh, are they bashful of the move? Are they sad of the move? Uh, You know, I don't think so, because in hindsight, the move is still the most successful move in the history of sports. Unfortunately, somebody had to lose in this battle, and it was Brooklyn. But as you know, we can get into it. There was a lot of circumstances around what, what caused it that way to happen.
0: As somebody who grew up a Mets fan in the shadows of Brooklyn, Looking at that Dodgers franchise, uh, what is your perception of of the the legacy? And and you know when he was talking about, he mentioned just now Vin Scully. I feel that was the the biggest connection we had for for a very long time. Uh, that that really, you know, bridged the gap between the, the generations.
1: Indeed, uh, I'm gonna go couple of different places here first i want to revisit the book boys of summer rob you nailed it uh because once my education commenced i can nail it to the year it was 1978 when the yankees were playing the dodgers in the world series and i was over a friend's house and there there was on the table the boys of summer and asked if i could borrow it and he lent it to me and i read it uh Amazed. So, you know, the education continued. Now, Sam, you you get into that uh, blind rage <laughs> that a Brooklynite might have for the Dodgers. You might say I might have been one of them, uh, 75, 76. Back then, when you bought a soda at Shea Stadium, they came in, you know, the paper slash waxed cups. And uh, when you were finished, we would, me and friends, that my father, you know, would take us. Uh, we would pop out the bottom of the cup and use it as a little megaphone. And here I am, a nine-year-old in 1976, now batting number six, Steve, garbage, garbage, number six. That was me. So on my own, I, I this animosity animosity grew. Now that being said. That kid started growing up. And in 1988, we all know the Mets faced the Dodgers in the playoffs. I was in Germany in the service, and my roommate was from Los Angeles. (laughs) Wow. Talk about fate bringing two people together. I still love him like a brother to this day. And through my experience in the military, I met a lot. There's an exponential number of people in the military from California. I can't explain that. But uh, as Rob says, and I, and I can attest to this, they do very well. They're much appreciative of where this team originated from. Uh, I give L.A. Dodger fans much could when it comes to that. Uh, and through interacting with other residents of L.A. slash Dodger fans, I've come to learn this and understand it and appreciate that about them. And, you know, as an adult, I I, I will admit that I feel a little bit of a, a kindred spirit amongst them. We have a commonality with this team, where it originated from and where it exists today. And I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy with having you know these ghosts of Loppers being my second favorite team, uh, but when I suspend reality, they are my favorite team. Uh, so produced to L.A. fans, and you know as far as the move, you have to t- you have to t- take into consideration the context of America. It was still growing expansion, but you also have to take it into the context. Context of New York City In so far as The city was built On a series of islands And there is no expansion There's only upward Construction So it's a constant battle for space And when you're first Ultimately In the recycling process You're one of the first to go and whereas, you know, the Giants and the Dodgers were at the early history of this great game of baseball, you know, they were one of the first to age and move west and retire there. You know you know what I'm saying. But uh, context, O'Malley or no O'Malley. One in seven people in this country can trace their family's history back through Brooklyn and the Dodgers are no different. Did I ever answer your question?
0: (laughs) Well, more or less, I believe, yeah. Um, And, and, you know, you send me off on many different directions, but I guess I'll go with this. Um, And I'll start with you, Rob, considering that you're on the Dodgers' side of this, Uh, and just your perception from the legacy of National League Baseball in New York that is the the Mets. And it seems that, you know, you. I, I really think at this point it's like 1988 and 2015 are the big battles between the Mets and the Dodgers. But it's not like uh, the Giants have completely been left out of the ancestral rivalry. Um, but there does seem to be more animosity with the Dodgers, uh, uh, with, with the Dodgers rivalry that, that is between the Mets. Um but when you think about the Giants, you can consider 2000, the Mets were able to beat them in four games, uh, and then the wild card game, the most recent, that really stung. Uh, what, what is it? What, what is your perception of that rivalry? How do you feel that the, the Giants and the Dodgers, and of course your angle from the Dodgers, uh, looking over to the Mets and National League Baseball in New York, uh, uh, and you know of course like the Mets are, are right now uh um about to get a new owner uh that just will always you know you, you you really just think about all the history of these these owners that have come and gone and and you know they what the their every owner has obviously a different angle that they come with this in versus the public trust versus private venture um, but anyway, I'm going all over the place now. I'll I'll pick it up. Give it give it over to you, Rob. Wherever you want to take it. What is your perception of that legacy as it pertains to the rivalry with their ancestors? Uh,
2: I think I think a big of it will will obviously it was it was uh, birthed in Brooklyn because. Uh, all the times, the first of all, that the Dodgers played the Yankees in the World Series, 41, 47, 49, 52, 53, 55, 56, and then the Dodgers move west, and again they're playing them again in 63. And then in the 70s, 77 and 78 and 81, it's insane the amount of time that those two franchises met. So maybe after they left, the, the, the people of New York and slash the Mets, who were rebirthed after the Obviously, we know that, after the Giants and, and Dodgers left, they're seeing this happen. They're seeing it uh, happen again, and they, they, the tinge of jealousy comes in, everything, and and it just becomes – it just kind of percolates and builds on itself. But the thing that I wrote down while you were talking about that, Sam, is I wrote down the word stability and because you talked about the Mets and ownership and things and changeover and getting a new owner and everything. And I come down to the word stability. The fact that the Dodgers had the O'Malley family owned them from 1950 till 19 – oh, Peter finally sold them in 1991 or 92. That's stability. Second stability is the managerial stability. First you had Walter Alston from 1954 until he retired with 10 games to play in the 1976 season and Tommy Lasorda, another Brooklyn tie-in took over, and he was there until 96. The fact that they had that stability on them for all those years made it so easy for them to continually to be a successful franchise. And once the Dodgers were sold to, the, to Mur- Murdoch and Fox, that's when all the, the chaos started. That's when they went down. So And, and, and with the Mets, you know, I'm obviously not as well versed as you two gentlemen are. It seems to me like they're always just trying to rebuild. They're rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding. Am I right?
0: Uh, yeah, that is that is for sure. And and Mike, I'll loop it around to you regarding the rivalry between the Giants uh, and the Dodgers and the Mets. Not not the Giants and Dodgers rivalry. Anyway, that was poor wording of it. But you know what I'm talking about. Continue where I left off, Mike.
1: It's another complicated matter. We're talking about Manhattan versus Brooklyn. Manhattan, an international city, constant churn. It's easy to get lost in the hustle and bustle of Manhattan. Whereas Brooklyn, we know they called it the bedroom of Manhattan, the borough of churches. Uh, The game was on every radio in every household, every store. We know. We know the anecdotes. You couldn't, you know, go two consecutive blocks without hearing the game. And we know about the attachment of fans with the team and the live-or-die live relationship they had. And it was a symbiotic relationship, you know. And so the, the connection with the citizenry and, and their team, uh, we're talking about fan bases worlds apart. And so is in so far as the relationship between Manhattan and Brooklyn. Uh, and, and that's why I think you know, the legacy of the New York Giants and that fan base and put all that in quotes kind of faded away in a manner of speaking and that of Dodgers did not. It, it, was, it was a matter of borough pride. And and we know Larry McVale pointed that out, Sam. He's like, look, there's two teams in this town that have New York across their chest. We have Brooklyn, and that's all we got. We're confined to the borders of this borough. So, you know, there was a, a uniqueness there uh, that the Giants, are, and even the Yankees, didn't have with their teams. So I think that plays into what exists today, but they've done a great job of transporting the rivalry out West. I mean, the San Francisco LA rivalry is intense as any in baseball. Uh, So I guess that's where we are. You know, somehow the Brooklyn Dodgers have been more romanticized. And the Giants, less so. Uh, but not to this New Yorker. Not to mm-hmm. this New Yorker. You know?
0: So, in your perception, do you think, like, like, uh, you know, I do believe that the Mets fans have looked at the the Giants as, like, scrappy, and, and, and they get on your nerves, of course. Even when they're bad, uh, they typically, the Mets and the Giants, have some pretty – uh, 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 strong battle uh, But would you say though Between the two ancestors It does seem there's more animosity And I think Mike Sosha And Oral Hershiser in 1988 Really is what Pushes that over the top Especially because that was Considered the-, the Mets building a dynasty That never came to fruition You you agree though that it seems The Dodgers are the more hated Of the ancestral rivalry.
1: Without a doubt, without a doubt, and you know in the 70s I, I turned 13 in 1980, so in the 70s, uh, yeah, without a doubt, uh, all animosities were taking uh, taken out on the Dodgers. Less, much, much less so w- with the Giants. Uh, hardly, a, if, if ever. If anything, uh, <laughs> maybe by my, my uncle or something like that. But it, it was rare to see a Chase Stadium, and I was there for both. And the intensity, most definitely, lean towards the Mets Dodgers games. Uh, me included. Like I said, now batting Steve Garbage, Garbage number six.
0: Yeah, and, and Rob, I'm wondering, you know, as, as somebody who is, is probably Steve Garvey's got to be one of your favorite. Uh, players, like what, what is it like to hear that? You know, is it is it kind of just fun in some weird, you know, camaraderie rivalry way, sort of way?
2: Of course it is, and 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 you know, I'm sure you guys know he was uh, Brooklyn Dodgers bat boy back in the days in Doral <laughs> <Bureau laughs> Beach right. back in the fifties. Right. There, he wrote a book. I'm, I'm going to my bookshelf, I think it's in the basement. Whatever. He wrote a book, and it's a fabulous book. And you know, Steve Garvey, he had his problems in, with, with with the media and everything, because he was this perfect, you know, clean cut American, supposed to be the American hero, and he wasn't the American hero and all that stuff. But you know, you know, it, it's all it's all in fun. It's all good.
1: Reggie Jackson said, "They don't boo nobodies."
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, that's well said. And I'd like to go back to that era. And, Mike, you and I discussed it at certain points. Uh, But it is very strange the way history repeats itself. And I I think 1981 was a more thorough season than this 2020. But it is so uh, strange the fact that the Dodgers in another shortened season are the world champions, if you want to take it from there.
1: Yeah, sometimes, you know, certain hashtags get attached to you and you can't shake them. Seems like this is the Dodgers. Uh, 1981, a compromised season, a strike in the middle of, uh, of the in the middle of the campaign, and they broke it up into two halves. And uh, yeah, the Dodgers ultimately won the World Series and got their revenge over the over the Yankees. You know, from uh, 77, 78. So good for them. Above all else, I'm a baseball fan. You know, and, and the story trumps everything as far as I'm concerned. So it was a good win for them. Uh, I didn't begrudge them in 1981 for winning in a compromise season. And I certainly don't begrudge them now for winning in this 2020 compromise season. It it was, it was strange and different and uncommon for all teams and everyone involved. So it was an even playing field. Uh, and ultimately the best team won. They had been knocking on the door for quite a long time and they finally broke through. Uh, so congratulations to them. Uh, you might say they found a an acceptable blend of analytics and traditional baseball more so than the rays who you know leaned heavily in one direction uh, amongst a couple of other teams i you know applying analytics is still an ongoing uh science I don't think anyone has mastered it yet. And before they get to that point, they might realize that it's counterproductive. They might need to uh, rethink things. But it's compromise season. I don't begrudge them. Funny, uh, but it also shows how life works in cycles. And we've always said, Tim, uh, the old adage is that, you know, life mimics baseball and baseball mimics life. And if you live long enough, you know, you see certain cycles take place and recur, uh, and you also live long enough to see things that you never saw, you never thought you'd see before.
0: Well, since we're talking about 1981, Rob, other than your thoughts on the poetry of it all, we can use this opportunity to mention Tommy Lasorda, who is the generational bridge, uh, having made his Major League debut August 5th, 1954, with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the connection of 1981 to now, as well as if you want to go into Lasorda's legacy?
2: Okay. Well, well, as Mike was talking about 81 and everything in my brain is going, okay, here's what also happened in 1981, which also happened in 2020. In 1981, they added for the first time the divisional round the Dodgers Mm -hmm. had to win the divisional series. They had to win the LCS and then they had to win the world series. And that format did not come back into play until the wild card era. Right. Am I right? Yeah. In the, in the nineties. And also this year, the Dodgers had to go through another round of playoffs. The, the, because remember they had the two wild cards. So the Dodgers had to have 13 wins this year, which is the most wins ever required by any team in postseason history. So as, as, Mike pointed out you know that yes, they were the best team. The cream rises to the crop they had to win they had to win the through the the additional series so you know in this craziness of twenty twenty that we're living in you know it's it's all it's all part of the legacy that will that will be carried on forward, and hopefully one of the legacies that will not be carried on is one of the rumors I keep hearing of our illustrious baseball commissioner wanting to make the world series at a neutral site every year. Okay. 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 Now on to Tommy Lasorda. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So Tommy Lasorda, you know, we all, we all know the story. We all, if you're, if you're a Dodger fan, if you're an LA Dodger fan, uh, you either loved him as a manager or you hated him as a manager I loved him as a manager because I think you guys can gather from hearing me talk. I'm kind of an upbeat, kind of a rah-rah guy like Tommy. So <laughs> I just naturally always kind of thought that he was just, you know, just, just the guy. And he, and he got it. And he was able to motivate his players. And even you, talk to, you read the stories of some of the players. Uh,
1: our,
2: our former family friend, Don Sutton, he never got along. Other guys loved and worshipped the ground that he walked on. So Tommy was obviously the guy. He, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame manager. He, you know, he has the, 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 the two World Series championships and a bunch of other uh, near misses and his tie-in back to Brooklyn. And the fact that it, he was actually at Game 7. I saw pictures of him from the stands. He was there with Bobby Valentine, I believe. I saw from Bobby's uh, Twitter feed that he was there with him. And I think it's very appropriate that Tommy was there to kind of put a bow on everything. And his legacy.
0: It's just reading this, Mike. Uh, reading his Wikipedia page. Um, it's it's just so interesting to see uh, the back and forth he he's gone through. I mean, um, I'm going to read this for a, a hot second. And um, just going up to the Ralph, the Ralph Hauk, uh, the Ralph. How do I pronounce his name, Ralph Hauk?
2: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Okay, so thank you. So so he uh, he made his Major League debut August 5th, 1954, as a pitcher for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He made his only start for the Dodgers on May 5th, 1955, but was removed after the first inning after tying a Major League record with three wild pitches in one inning and being spiked by Wally Moon of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, listen to Wally Moon poetry. Even though he was on St. Louis, obviously Wally Moon would have uh, a big... Part in Dodgers history, uh, he was demoted after the game and never pitched for the Dodgers again. Although he did not play in the 1955 World Series, he didn't win a World Series as a member of the 1955 Brooklyn Dodgers. He pitched for the Dodgers for two seasons, then for the Kansas City Athletics for one season. After the Athletics bought him from the Dodgers, Kansas City traded Lasorda to the New York Yankees in 1956. He appeared in 22 games for the AAA Denver Bears in 1956 and
1: 1957,
0: and then was sold back to the Dodgers in 1957. So it's, you know, and it keeps going, but it's so funny how, how uh, you know, you, you do, of course, see it happen on occasion where a star player, a major league all-of-games star player becomes a great manager but a lot of times it's these little guys like Tony LaRussa and Tommy Lasorda that end up being Hall of Fame managers.
1: You're right, brother. Uh, it's funny. I heard it said of Wayne Gretzky in his particular situation, if I can make a hockey reference here that you know guys like him just can't understand why they can't do the things that he did. <laughs> You know, you take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, you're right, Sam. Uh, that seems to be uh, a, a baseball phenomenon, you know, and, and not just baseball, other sports as well, but uh, more so in baseball, it seems. If I may, getting back to, you know, what I refer to as, as, as the cycle of life In cycles at work, I remember Tommy Lasorda's rookie season as manager. I remember... Walter Alston And I knew then To be appreciative uh, Because again It was a neighbor who told me Yeah, he was the manager When the Bro- when, when Brooklyn won the World Series So I'm appreciative All these years later that I was able to At least see his last uh, Two or three years or so as, as manager of the Dodgers And let us not forget Back in 1920, again, cycles the Dodgers were playing the Indians in the World Series, and they were coming off a pandemic, and they were coming out of World War I cycles.
0: Right, exactly. And, and to wrap up uh, Lasorda, I uh, just wanted to throw it out there. His final game was a 4-3 victory over the Houston Astros at Dodger Stadium on June twenty third, 1996. And uh, considering, and it's funny that I'm going on such a, a, a Tommy Lasorda tangent, Rob. But you can't think of Tommy Lasorda without thinking of him, and and he wasn't playing around with the Philly fanatic. I mean, he was dead serious when he 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 took the the uh, effigy of himself and slammed it against uh, <laughs> against the Philly fanatic. And it's funny considering. That he's also from Pennsylvania, and from southeastern Pennsylvania specifically. Um, it's, it, it, I mean, he. It's funny that you have somebody extremely serious with such a good sense of humor, but he, he, he sort of seemed to know how to balance the two, the, 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 the two of them at the same time. Because you know, just thinking about that Philly fanatic clip, I mean, it, it still brings a smile to your face every time it passes through your brain.
2: Oh yeah, and especially thanks to the, this golden age of the, of of Twitter and gifs. Uh, that's a gif out there, and you see it <laughs> from time to time. it' really just cut down of him just body slamming it. Yeah, he's one of those guys. You know, you get him between the lines, and he, and he was like all business. Uh, there was also the the moment in one of the world's one of the all-star games when he was coaching third. And I believe a a broken back came down near him and Barry Bonds tried to bring out a chest protector to him. And he's like, he's like, no, you get out of here. I don't need a chest protector. (laughs) Yeah. That was early. uh, I think he came back. I think that was the early 2000s. But then there's also other times too. You look back to the 81 team with, with, with all the jokesters of, Rick Monday and the recently passed Jay Johnstone. And, and they're all just yucking around in the dugout. There's some great uh, film footage of that. And Rick Monday still tells stories of that, uh, of them just, just 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 trying to get Tommy and stuff. And so, you know, obviously, exactly. He was business when he needed to be business, but he could have a great time when he wanted to have a great time.
1: Sam, there's also another clip. for I'm sure.
0: sure. Go ahead, yeah.
1: I'm sure you guys heard it. There's another clip. Again, it was the Dodgers versus the Yankees in the World Series, and Reggie Jackson had homered against them. And after the game, (laughs) in the post-game press, one of the reporters asked him, you know, how does that make you feel? And he (laughs) went completely off, dropped carpet-bombing F-bombs all over the room.
0: Uh, I think (laughs) it's
1: a classic clip. But behind the scenes, you know.
0: Can I also, also, like, wasn't the specific question was, like, do you – just taking the moment, like even though, even though, like it was something like that, right, guys? Like, like it had something like, like how, how does it make you feel to be part of such a historic yeah. event? Like it, it was framed <laughs> how that way. make it feel. <laughs> that was
1: an epic win. <laughs> so,
0: so I, we're gonna, we're gonna make it a, a shorter episode than usual, and, and so I'm going to to first uh, uh go to Rob for any outstanding. Uh, uh, things that we may want to talk about before the last word. Uh, I'll start with you, Rob. Go ahead.
2: Okay. Outstanding things. Uh, in, in our our quest of where we're going today, well, you, you uh, the legacy of New York baseball, the legacy of what, when the teams left, how they have treated their their roots. Uh, one thing i failed to mention is what I've heard in passing. I haven't necessarily witnessed it up hand. I, from what I've read throughout my readings is I feel the San Francisco Giants do not honor their legacy and their roots as much as the New York Giants. That's just a little thing I've had in passing. I've yet, I've been by AT&T, Pac Bell, insert name, team, her name, uh, Park here. I've been, I haven't been there. I've been every time I've been to San Francisco, they've never been in town. So what are your guys thoughts on that? Are the, do the Giants honor their legacy as, as well as
0: the, as the Dodgers? I would say yes, in just the connection to the New York Giants Preservation Society, the communication that okay. the Giants have had with with that, them, uh, the the fact that there still seems to be, and we always say it's Willie Mays, the connection of Willie Mays, that kept a lot of fans over here. And the Giants, uh, all three times, brought the the trophy to New York for those fans that, are, that still exist. I did here. not know that. Uh, and... and Mind you, there there is uh, specifically a season ticket holder type club that directly honors the New York roots. The entire place is just called it's called the Gotham Club, and it's filled okay. with with Giants New York legacy. Um, so I would say yes, a- and you know I think that it could certainly be argued better in some fashion than the Dodgers, they would, I, I'd, I'd love to get Gary, Gary Mintz on here to talk about this. And we'll have to, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, I think that'll a rivalry episode. I don't know whether the last time, if at all, we've had both yourself like a, a function of the Dodgers uh, through yourself, as well as Gary, who is both the New York Giants and San Francisco Giants mm-hmm. fan from Long Island. So, uh, Mike, you know, t- take it away in terms of your perception of it.
1: Well, I agree with you, Sam. And there's also the John Bush stairway restoration to be spoken of. Uh, as a New Yorker and a baseball fan, I, I was greatly appreciative of that effort. And uh, if New Yorkers haven't been there, go there. And, of course, the renaming of Willie Mays Way. You know, so those are small efforts, but uh, I think important efforts, Uh so, yeah, there, there's an effort on the on the present-day Giants uh, to keep that legacy going, and I, I, I'm appreciative of their interactions. I think had uh, Tom O'Malley still been owner of the team or if the team stayed in the O'Malley uh, family, they might have reached out at some point as well. Uh, but, you know, he was burdened with other things and ultimately got out of the business. So I don't begrudge them, but it would be nice if, if the Dodgers, under this new ownership, uh, you know, would make a small token effort and revisit their their once former, you know, neighborhood and, and make a small gesture. That would be nice. But the Dodgers, are, uh, excuse me, the Giants, are, you know, the, the stairway is, to me, significant in and of itself. Uh, but within the city, I would like to see more. Uh, more attachment and more acknowledgement and, and celebration of this city's national league legacy. And it doesn't have to be limited to the Dodgers and giants. I mean, they can certainly go back into earlier baseball, 1860s, 70s, 80s for that matter.
0: It's a great point. And I know that you yourself uh, are a big proponent of, being active uh, yourself with with sharing that history all around town and all around the region, for that matter. Um, so, Mike, I'll, I'll pass it over to you, ask you the same question. Any outstanding items that we need to visit before we go?
1: You said visit. You just triggered something. You know, Sam, I'm not a self-promoter. But for the benefit of Dodger fans out there, L.A. or Brooklyn, of course, my blog is conveniently tailored after the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. I'm the Brooklyn Trolley blogger. And every so often I perform what I call superb archaeology. Uh, you know, just visit, type in the label Brooklyn Dodgers. And if there's something Brooklyn Dodgers that exists today, a mural, sign, you know, uh, a location, uh, City Park, if it exists I, I'm trying to locate them And I got about four or five entries uh, Some You're aware of, I think some you'll be Surprised about, I know Sam I surprised you with one uh, So as a yeah, baseball yeah. fan If you're interested into what exists Today, which isn't much But on the in the same breath I will say There's more than you realize Fun, fun items Again, murals, graffiti What not the new home plate at Ebbets Field, formerly Ebbets Field, I should say. Uh, so a lot of nice touches. In the, and, of course, across the street you have Jackie Robinson Playground. Uh, the mural at the public school, there was the original mural, and there's the repainted mural. You know, So there's changes like that, and I try to document them whenever I can because you never know when they're going to disappear, especially murals. Uh, but in two post offices, there's two very nicely done murals, and things of that nature. So, again, just for the benefit of Dodger fans, I'm not a self-promoter, but uh, if you want to see what still exists out there, it's kind of fun.
0: Appreciate it, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, especially some of those Dodger fans that do want to visit the Roots but can certainly cannot right now um, because of travel and, and uh, you know, within COVID. Um but hopefully we're going to have a, a uh, free and easy summer, uh, both on the baseball front and when it comes to COVID. And uh, all you Dodger fans out there, or just baseball fans in general, can get back out on the road and get your your baseball road trips uh, going. And I'll, I'll before one more thing before the final word, and, and this is just uh, tongue-in-cheek jest. Um, Mike, do you think there'll ever be a sports franchise called The Bloggers? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Negative.
0: <laughs>
1: the Bloggers. No, I can't can't see that. Man.
0: That certainly would be very, very I mean, you know, they they you know, you think about like the Packers, the Dodgers, these are these are names that are very unique to the regions they come from and yeah. are very, yeah, very so. are, are also very um at this point nobody even like it's everybody nobody second guesses them, but they are names that live in an anachronistic world that were very of their time uh so when considering you know like like we're we're all considering that that these are institutions at this point, but there could always be a expansion team there could always be uh, a team that moves and wants to rename, and so you never know what kind of modern vernacular may be the nickname of the next great sports franchise. What do you think, Rob? The bloggers?
2: That's <laughs> you know what. In the way
0: this world is going, you know what?
2: I wouldn't be surprised in ten, fifteen years.
0: The Brooklyn Trolley Bloggers. They blog <laughs> only on trolleys. <laughs> It's good. Anyway, gentlemen, um, I, I greatly appreciate you joining me today. Uh, Rob, thank you for, for being able to call in all the way out from uh, Illinois, and I will go it. Uh, I'll throw it over to you for your last word.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, Sam. Pleasure to meet you, Mike, and finally get some deep in-depth talk. It was a pleasure. And thanks again, Sam. It's always a pleasure and honor to be involved with you and uh, this excellent project you're in the midst of, and I always look forward to seeing how it is progressing two things. Uh, One thing I'll leave you with. And you guys have heard me talk before about how, how, about my Dodgers library, the book I am, I, and I'm rereading them now, you know, I've been through them. I haven't read them in like five, six, seven years. I pull them out, read again. I'm currently reading the Dodgers move West by Neil Sullivan. It's a very, very uh, middle of the road, discussion of the move, why it happened it takes no sides. It's done by a Ph.D., uh, I believe he's from Harvard, and it was part of his Ph.D. project, I believe. It's an excellent book. It came out in the 80s. I cannot I, I cannot recommend it enough. And then I just pulled another one out of the book while we were talking about the history and, and, and everything. I pulled another one out of my bookshelf, and I highly recommend this one, too. It's called The Man Who Brought the Dodgers Back to Brooklyn. It's a novel. Obviously, it's fiction by David Ritz. came out in 1981. I had to do a little research about it, but it is a lovely story about a guy who makes a ton of money and buys the franchise and moves it back. And it is just an incredible read. And I think both of you gentlemen would love it. Look for it. You can find it in used bookstores. And once again, thanks guys. It's been my pleasure.
0: Thank you, Rob. I have heard of the book before. I have not been able to read it. So I'll have to check it out sometime. Mike, thank you as always. And, uh, you know, by all means, shameless
1: plug, last word, all of the above. Go ahead. Well, Rob, likewise, pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, hope to do it again real soon. Sam, thank you as well for having me on today. Uh, last word, you know, baseball. Such a great game. I, I love reminiscing about baseball in Brooklyn and Brooklyn and baseball. Uh, so, you know, I'm always excited to do that. You can count me in any time. Otherwise, you know, congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers and to all my friends in California. Uh, That's it. Baseball is a wonderful game.
0: Baseball is a wonderful game. And uh, considering the situation we're currently in, I will make my last word America. Um, You know, I don't think everybody wants to uh, scream that that America's forgetting about baseball, but I, I don't believe that to be the case. Um, and no matter what side of the political spectrum you are, we always seem to come together and agree uh, that the Wilpons shouldn't be uh, uh, owning the Mets anymore, or that uh, Bartolo Colon or Oral Hershiser, or, who you know, put, put whatever name you want at the top, they should have thrown a curveball instead of a Situation, or this manager should have started, uh, uh, to, you know, should have should have saved Tom Seaver for Game Seven instead of pitching uh, George Stone in that game because Tom Seaver doesn't uh, does not pitch well on three days rest. There's always something that we can agree on as a country, and and bring together uh, through the non-discourse that does sometimes seem to be a part. of of our modern conversation of the issue. Um, so one way or another, figure out how to find common ground. Figure out whether baseball can help with finding common ground. And uh, just remember why you started watching in the first place. Um, let's, and, and from our perspective over here with Steve Cohen, on the cusp of taking over the New York Metropolitans. Let's go Mets. Let's go National League Legacy of New York. And uh, that's it for today, everybody. Thank you again, Rob. Thank you again, Mike. And thank you, of course, to all the listeners out there for tuning in today. Catch us next time. Take care.